Hello everyone, thank you so much for downloading this episode of Bees Pod. It was just a week ago that we came to you last, but as usual, a week is a very long time in the history of the club that we love so much. Uh, we've got a manager on the way out, a new one potentially on the way in, and plenty to discuss. Uh, we really hope you enjoy the show. As ever, let us know what you think, uh, and we hopefully will come back with some very positive news on the pitch very, very soon. Take care, everyone. Hello everyone uh, and welcome to another episode of Beast Pod. Having gone a couple of months without doing one, we're now doing about one a week, uh, which is about the rate that Barnett are getting through uh, their new managers. Uh, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined this evening by uh, two fantastic guests. Uh, first of all, uh, none other than uh, Mem. Uh, Mem, we spoke about a week ago uh, and you said you were doing pretty well then. Uh, a lot changes in a week, another defeat for the Bees uh, and potentially another new manager on the way as well. Uh, How has the last seven days been for you? Well, I've come to the conclusion we're not going to finish seventh this season. <laughs> Took me a while. A lot of soul searching. Gosh, it really has been a week for you, isn't it? Um, and we're, we're absolutely delighted to be joined by someone who uh, came on the podcast on our most ever listened to show several years ago uh, before vanishing uh, from, uh, from, from the pod for a while. But we're absolutely delighted to have him back. He is a man who knows a huge amount about Barnet, a huge amount about football um, and a huge amount about what might happen next to the Bees, and that is Tom Bedell. Uh, Tom, first of all, how are you doing? And, and just for the Bees fans that um, don't know you, what, what have you been up to in the last few years? Sure. Yeah, very well, thank you. Thrilled to be back. Uh, shame it's not in good circumstances, but it feels like it's a long time since that would have been an opportunity. Uh, in the interim, uh, when did we last speak? I'm trying to think. I'd, I'd, uh, I was at the Barnet Times, wasn't I? I think when we spoke, time series when we spoke, worked for the club. For a bit, which was a, an awful lot of fun, and now I'm head of content services at 23, and we do a lot of work with clients, including Sky Sports and Squawker. So that is also a lot of fun. But I miss watching Barnet, although perhaps not this season. Yeah, I think that's the first time I've heard someone say they miss watching Barnet for about a year. <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess there's uh, there's only really one place to start, which is uh, the managerial uh, changes that have gone on um, at the club. Um, we're going to sort of share some information about obviously what's happened and uh, and also what we think is very likely to happen within the next day or so. Uh, but first of all, let's start with you, Mem. I mean, since we last spoke, obviously we lost on Saturday, uh, deservedly so. Uh, what? Sorry, lost on Tuesday. Sorry, uh, deservedly so. And um, what what what's changed? What's happened behind the scenes with the club? And and why do you think that Tim Flowers has decided to step back? I think it's quite. I think Tim Flowers. I think it's a combination of the clubs thinking, okay, there's been no manager bounce, new manager bounce. We are literally losing every single game. We've won one game in God knows what, 11 fixtures, won one game. Doesn't seem to be made any changes, any progress. And I think also Tim Flowers' ego doesn't like this. And you can tell he's become progressively more exasperated in his, um, uh, in his interviews post-match. And to be honest, last game, the, the interview did after Rex game, I was literally just watching it before Beast Pod. First time I've seen it. And I, he, he, it feels like he's just given up. And I think his ego is not allowing it. And lo and behold, who sacked their manager tonight? His, 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 uh, his favourite club in the whole world, Solihull. Is that going to be a reunion for the two lovebirds? Well, we're going to get onto some potential reunions with the Bees in a moment. I mean, Tom, you've, you've obviously been watching a little bit from afar this season. From the outside, you know, you're someone also who's covered the club 
throughout a period of successive managers changing, coming and going, etc. From the outside, does this kind of look like a fairly normal thing to happen? Were you surprised that it even lasted this long? You know, from your experience, do you think TK would have would have been doing a bit of pushing or do you think Tim would have been walking towards that door uh, unaided? I think that's the most interesting thing in all of this. And that's the, the question I would love to know the answer to, you know, definitively, because there's a large part of me that suspects this was, you know, this was a genuinely kind of mutual decision that there was no improvement really was there um, in, in terms of results, in terms of performance, you know, performances of anything probably actually gone backwards from what I, what I gather in, 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 at least in the style of play and, and, and the like. In terms of Tim Flowers' position, I think for someone who has made such a point of talking about his time at Soul and the, the, the success he had there and so on, this, this probably didn't sit well with him and, you know, you could probably only see it going one way and his, his reputation being tainted um, in, in the meantime. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a case of him, you know, going to, to the, the chairman after, after last night and saying, you know, let's, let's sort this out because, I, you know, I, you guys watch them week in, week out. I can't see a way that it's going to improve uh, drastically and, and suddenly at this stage. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, one of the perhaps slightly, well, one of the things that I certainly was quite excited about at the time of Flowers' appointment was what looked like to be some long overdue investment in performance related areas of the club, uh, obviously with Anderson, fitness coach, uh, and a real emphasis on that, at least in the club's communication about how this was not just a new manager, but a new way of doing things. Um, I mean, Mem, looking back on it now, do, do you think that there'll be an appetite for those things to continue? Or was that just, again, looking back over the last two or three months, just another desperate roll of the dice to say, well, let's try something fundamentally new and whoever comes in uh, will fundamentally change that model again? Or, or do you think that there'll be some sort of commitment to some of the changes that Tim's brought in? I truly hope that there is some continuity. And I've made this point today uh, several times uh, across social media and stuff is that the the thing that's holding Barnet back, you know, aside from obviously a lot of the decision-making of who we bring in, is the actual comment, is the core vision of what we need to get to the next level. And we've talked about this loads. And we've talked about the fact that, you know, like nutrition, talks about um, an, an anal- good analysis, um, all the things that a modern professional club needs. And our biggest hurdle or obstacle at this moment is every time something doesn't quite work out with one person we literally uh, throw the baby out with the, with the you know with the bathwater and i think there needs to be some con- continuity within a framework so and and we need to decide what we what we want to be do we want to be um a, a club that basically just doesn't have a doesn't have a style or do we want to have say look you know what we're going to put you know flag in the ground say this is what barnet stands for and whatever manager we come in has got to fit that vision, okay? And and I hope that, that some of that backroom sort of investment rolls on and we don't go back to being a pub side and having like, you know, man, you know manager and his mate helping out. It needs to be, you know, we need to have a proper structure in place and continue that. Um, Tom, I think you must be one of the only few football fans in England that sort of has an affinity to two teams that fire managers as regularly as Barnet and Watford. And I guess uh, two questions, really. I mean, first of all, 
with Watford, there was, I guess, a sense that the the head coach was sort of replaceable or at least um, disposable. And that was kind of quite a natural cycle of around 12 to 24 months before they brought someone else in, obviously with varying levels of success with the relegation. But, you know, it, the last 10 years have, I think, by Watford's recent standards, been reasonably successful in comparison to the sort of 20 or 30 before that. Um, so I guess the, the first question is, do you think that there is a model that, that is there to be had, I mean, from your experience of following Watford, that there is a sustainable model. What lessons can we learn from them, perhaps, um, in terms of, uh, yeah, in terms of that? And I'll come on to the second question, maybe maybe after that. Okay, good. Because I've got a lot to say. I th- do you know what? I think, actually, what you've just asked and what Mem just said slot together so nicely, because at Watford, it works because everything else is fairly set in stone. You know, the, the ownership have... What they're in charge of, that is very clear, i.e. the recruitment. The medical department stays the same. The coaching staff, by and large, stays the same. Some managers have been afforded the opportunity to bring in, you know, slightly more or, or, or more members of staff of their own. Walter Mazzari, who wasn't a great success, I think as, you know, being a fairly big name, they kind of allowed him to bring in a few, a few of his friends. Um, but, you know, most of them, they kind of just slot into an existing structure and you know, obviously, change what they can affect. So you know, the the the, the starting lineup, the the tactics, the the, the formation, the system, whatever it may, you know, those sort of things that they they can affect the training and so on. But everything else is kind of taken care of for them. You know, they they fit into the recruitment. They 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 have an opinion, but the ultimate decision maker and the ultimate power of veto lies with the the owner, Gino Pozzo, and and the, the non-executive chairman, who's Scott Duxbury. And it works. What Mem was saying about actually sticking, you know, having a plan and sticking with it and a structure and sticking with it is, is, is the belief that I hold. Right back to when Rossi got the job, I, I said to uh, some Barnet Sporting friends at the time, I almost think it would be worth potentially getting relegated to the National League at that point under Rossi, but going, we have a young coach who has a very clear philosophy, a very clear style of play, who trusts the young lads wants to do things a certain way. And this is going to be our our identity for a period of time that is longer than six months. We're going to stick with it. We're going to suffer what comes with it, but we're actually going to, you know, try to be more than just a transient football club that goes through managers for fun, changes, turns over players and so on and so forth. And obviously, you know, I think there were there were problems with Rossi's, you know, without going way back in history and, and raking over something that happened quite a while ago. Now, I think there were there were problems that probably meant that that wasn't viable. But the, I think the point still stands that they need to just stick with something. And I tweeted this afterwards. There needs to be a structure. They need, they need to stick with something and actually try how many people have been, you know, director of football or technical director or some sort of title, you know, that seemingly suggests there's going to be someone between the chairman and the head coach only to be, you know, turfed out after weeks, months, you know, John Still, James Thorne, there must be others in recent history, James Thorne's done it twice, hasn't he? You know, there must be others in, in recent history as well that I'm forgetting. So I, I think that's so important. Yeah, I, I think so. Go ahead, man. I was just saying Paul Fairclough was the director. Of course, yeah, Paul Fairclough. Exactly. And he, could, he forget Mark McGee as well, I think probably the oh, most God, illustrious yeah, well, name. <laughs> and, <laughs> I guess just to, I'll come on to the second question in a moment, uh, Tom, but just for Mem on that point, because potentially this was an opportunity to do with Flowers what Tom was saying. We know that this is someone who's had experience of doing very well in this division. Um, I obviously, we had a discussion last week about concerns that perhaps we may have had around him only doing it at one club and whether that's transferable to another club. And 
perhaps it isn't. But Mem, do you think there probably comes a point where if you are just losing constantly and not just losing by the old goal, I mean, being systematically battered, I mean, let's, let's not make any bones about it. The results have varied, but we have gone in, I think, every single one of the last 12 games, including against talking, Dorking, sorry, we have been the worst side by two or three goals, um, maybe the exception of, of, of the victory against Halifax. Do you think there sort of comes a point where the short-term losses of a model like that just become too unsustainable? Because this may have been the perfect opportunity to do what you're saying there, Tom, which is stick with someone for a long period of time. You know, we don't know what's happening relegation, but it, you know, it's at best 50-50 chance it goes ahead. More likely than not, we end up in the division next year. Like, surely this would be the great opportunity to try that. So, Mem, do you think that's something we could have done? Or do you think actually, you know what, in the short term, it just becomes too toxic and, and you essentially end up burning all your relationships with the players um, and, and so you kind of have to walk away uh, or, or, or get sacked, whatever happened as Flowers has, uh, has done. Well, I think, I, think the key, I think the key point is, is that with any, for any manager or any coach to uh, have any credibility with a player, the player has to see and observe some kind of progression themselves. Now, the problem is, is because we play a game, we're, we're playing a game which is very direct and, and we are, and I said this last week, we are constantly in transition. Okay, we give up the ball cheaply because we're constantly trying to look for a ball over the top. Balls get headed down. We're trying to win second balls. The problem with that is, is that, you know, your attacking players are running, you know, run, running a lot of, um, uh, you know, they're running a lot and they're not seeing a huge amount of success out of that. You're seeing players, you know, defenders constantly, you know, finding the opposition running at them. And if you're a player in that side, you're going to lose faith with you. You're going to lose faith with your coach and your manager with giving you instructions which clearly aren't working. And the problem is, is that once you lose that faith in your manager, okay, you, then all of a sudden you don't you find that the players won't run that extra mile, uh, that extra yard for the for the manager. They won't. It, it, they'll go through the motions because they don't believe it. Um, and this is the reason why. I mean, this is part of the reason why I'm quite passionate about the fact that if you play football in a certain style you can incrementally see um, improvements. Um, and I know, obviously, uh, from my experience as a coach, and I'm sure you've had this as well, Ian, as a, you know, you'll see a game and you watch a game and you'll, as a coach and you'll say to yourself, you know what, we lost today. But you know what I saw today? I saw us moving the ball really nicely through the thirds. I saw us linking up play. And the bit that wasn't quite working was that bit. We're going to work on that bit. But when you're constantly playing a game where it's so bitty and the game is is literally so broken up and you're playing for you're playing for corners and you're playing for free kicks and you're you're looking to it's just like I said constantly in transition, it is really difficult for a player to to see any progress. And I think what's happened you've you had a situation where the players have just completely lost faith in the manager, and he's lost faith in them. And I'm hearing now um, stories of just we've been sort of private messaged. That a big part of the reason why Flowers um, is not here with us is that basically he gone into the change room and told all the players that they're all useless, um, and that's literally just come in as we're recording this uh, from one of our sources. So um, he's clearly there's a breakdown now between the faith between both player and manager, and once that happens, that's it, you're done. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely not a happy camp. And, you know, we've heard a lot of stories of players being frustrated and we'll come on to that and, and some of the sort of contractual issues there. Before we do, though, look at that, um, Tom, I guess you're someone with a lot a lot of experience of looking in detail at different types of football clubs. One of the issues that Mem and I have always sort of referenced on the show is stuff around, um, you know, player care and, and the fact that perhaps Barnett has fallen behind 
A, first of all, the facilities we've got, but B, actually the general standard of player care in the conference. I mean, from your slightly more objective perspective as someone who covers uh, football and, and, you know, on your own podcast looks at the conference in general, is it, is it fair to say that we're slightly behind in those regards or is that just, uh, just a sort of slight misconception that, that we have? It's hard for me to speak accurately about it now, but what I would say is when I worked at the football club, there were things that happened that made me scratch my head a little bit. And, you know, maybe it's the only football, well, I've worked at two football clubs, but it's the only football club I've worked at for any length of time, even there, I wasn't there that long. But I wonder if that's the norm at a club of that level, you know, or is that out of the ordinary? So things like players being... Uh, you know, asked to do things that would be, uh, I would have thought ordinarily would have been taken care for them. So the, I think things that have been mentioned before on your podcast, you know, like having food provided for them, you know, bringing their own water in to training, cleaning their own kits. Now, these are obviously fairly small things in the grand scheme of things, but I do think it all adds up, doesn't it? Bit by bit by bit to a kind of, a feeling that it's just not been taken, you know, I think the football just the football side of things at the club just isn't being taken seriously. And I don't doubt for one second that it's those sort of things that all kind of, you know, chip away at a player, you know, the pride that they have in playing for the club, the belief they have in the club's ability to achieve things. And it's the sort of thing that probably, you know, leaches out into the wider football community and, and you know, makes Barnet a, a less appealing prospect for for better players and you know that's only a couple of very small examples yeah I mean I think that that it, it does all add up right and and it is it is small things and you know I remember um us sort of talking about that stuff and getting a bit of hot water for it and I, I think obviously you know when you're running a football club you, you don't want to be exposed to minor criticism on these things but um the, the game has changed quite a lot since since sort of the 90s um, and I think the club needs to adapt to it. And it is interesting when you speak to former players, some of whom really don't have an axe to grind. Um, and, and they kind of look back on the club with very fond memories, but also um, like a sense of frustration that perhaps we didn't quite kick on to, to achieve our full potential. Um, and it is really quite remor- remarkable that we, you know, someone put it quite eloquently, I think, on Twitter, on the message board about the fact that since 2005, you look at the clubs that have come up from the conference you know, ourselves and a, and a couple of other ones are the only ones that have, have really gone backwards or at least not even enjoyed a spell above finishing mid-table in League Two. You know, obviously there are some clubs that have gone up and then dropped way back down, but, um, you know, we, we really haven't <laughs> uh, succeeded for, for quite a significant period of time. Mem, let's, let's address then perhaps some of the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes, um, at least with, with Flowers. You know, we know that... Um, it, he has had grounds to be incredibly frustrated and angry at some of the performances. I think particularly the sort of set pieces and the manner of defeats and the manner of losing goals. What's your sense of perhaps how, how players have responded? And also, can you sort of shed any light on, on anything that might be going on behind the scenes? We've got quite a large squad now. Uh, and we know that, um, you know, clubs like sort of Chester, for example, have been furloughing players. Has there been any sort of changes on that front um, with the Bs? Or are we, you know, still got, you know, filling up all three pitches with all of our players uh, occupying a square metre at the moment? Well, yeah, uh, let's put it this way. From what I understand, um, we can't claim moral high ground anymore against Chesterfield um, because uh, whilst we've still been bringing players in 
Uh, we've actually furloughed some of our the players who were like distantly away from the club, um, like distant away from the first team. So I've been told um, I know of at least three definites that have been furloughed, um, and I believe there's another two, but um, not had not had them confirmed. So from what I understand as well, and this is this came from an um, this came from what uh, very uh, another one of our sources. Um, actually, Tim Flowers wasn't partic- wasn't particularly um, the nicest person apparently to the players that he uh that he decided that it weren't up to the up to the job so he wasn't particularly you know and then day, if players not good enough for your squad you know they're a human being and you know it's nice to be and again this goes back to the whole player care this goes back to the whole you know doing things the right way and apparently he wasn't you know it the players weren't particularly happy about the way he sort of uh, he dealt with that situation. Um, so we've got, I think, I believe we've got around five players on furlough now. And I guess, Tom, I mean, that that raises a couple of really interesting questions. We we really had a called out Chesterfield on on that, um, you know, and, and it's only fair that if that is the case, and as I said, it's, it's only what we've heard. So um, I guess until we get some communication from the club that we can't necessarily say that's 100% true. But... <laughs> From a sort of an outsider's perspective, it does seem like the world's going a little bit mad when fifth tier clubs are, you know, bringing in players in one hand and popping them on furlough in the other. From your sort of understanding, is that is this something that's happening quite widely in the in the footballing community? Is it something that is quite rare? Um, and I guess, do, do you feel that uh, the way that we've gone about sort of bringing together a squad and and you know now got a huge spiraling squad of, of thirty five players? Is becoming is that, is that going to become sort of a slightly more long term issue uh, for the club rather than just something that's going to hit us quite hard for the next few months? I uh, yes, I've so first question yes, I've heard of other clubs doing it without you know naming names. Obviously, mentioned Chesterfield, but yeah, I've I've heard about other clubs doing it certainly. And I've got to say, I agree with you. It doesn't sit particularly well with me when you know it's a bit like the clubs pleading poverty on one hand and asking their players to take a pay cut. You know, last year when the pandemic first became a real issue and then going out and signing players or, you know, sacking other members of staff, isn't it? Just it's not a great look. I think it's, it's fair to say in terms of the kind of issue that we that Barnett are going to have going forward. I, I would be really interested to know how many of these guys are on contracts beyond the end of the season. I'm assuming it's not many. Transfer Mark certainly has, I think, only a couple of players, right? Um going beyond the end of the season obviously one of those being uh, Ben Richards Everton who signed bizarrely kind of got a very long deal didn't he three and a half year deal was it or two and a half year deal when he signed which you know completely out of keeping with Barnet and certainly in the current uh, time I think you know all the guys that have signed recently um, Lee Vaughan and, and, and so on that presumably it, it, they are on contracts until the end of the season If it, I can't remember if they were stated at times so you, you have to assume that they are not going to be here for long and I, I don't think it's inconceivable that they get moved out right if an, a new manager comes in and doesn't fancy them because you know you just can't especially in a league where you have five subs even with the number of games you've got left you can't work with a squad of that size it's ludicrous and I was joking with a couple of balance point friends the other day you know this is Martin Allen written all over it in so much as coming in and going we've got 35 players here you know they're all so fat they've eaten Pizza Hut and I don't just mean the pizza I mean the shop as well and you know all the Martin Allen classics that used to come out with do you remember that Halifax game where they got walloped a few years ago the end of the Edgar David first season in the conference he always referenced that as the starting point and you know clearing them out and he let go of about 10 didn't he within a week or something you could just see him coming in and, and sweeping through 
it needs to happen, to be honest, because evidently they're playing a lot of players that just aren't good enough to contribute or aren't in the headspace to be here and contribute. So I think I don't think it's going to cause a long-term issue, but I do think the knock-on effect is going to be something like we saw this summer just gone, that there's probably going to be you know a complete rebuilding job at the end of this season. And you know, unless a, a, a competitive budget is put, you know, put in the direction of the new manager or whoever's in charge at that point, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult. And it's probably going to be another tough season next season. That would be my long-term concern. I think um, you're, you're absolutely right to, to raise that. I mean, what is really odd in, in context of, of Flowers' is sacking is the way in which we've handed out deals and the kind of recruitment profile of players we brought in. I mean, clearly Flowers has decided to sort of bring in a, you know, a sort of a team you might assemble on a sort of 2005 championship manager. I mean, you've got Liam Daly in there, um, who I think, you know, even me and Mem could outrun. Um, you've got Richard Everton, who, who's coming on a two and a half year, two and a half year deal. Um, Lee Vaughan, I know it may be a short term deal, but it's a 34 year old right back, one of eight at the club. Uh, it just seems like the recruitment is, is almost, I mean, it, you would probably get more sense out of it if it was entirely random. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts, Mem? Let's stop press. Nine. We've got nine right backs now. Nine right backs now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, it's, uh, it's, it's easy to lose count. We might have a game at the end of the show so you can name them. I mean, I guess that, that does raise a few questions around whether the, the state, the sort of status of Flowers has sort of changed quite considerably, whether you think he was taking it on as a firefighting job in December or whether you feel that he was seeing it as a rebuilding job and now has come a month through uh, and has realised actually it's not for me because the recruitment of players seems to suggest that he was being pretty much fully backed when he was bringing in players even last week. Does that suggest to you that things have really drastically changed at the club in the last week or so? Or do you feel that like it's it's a kind of almost a tokenistic gesture? Okay, sure, we'll throw uh, a couple of grand after players that Tim wants so we can say we're backing him. But actually behind the scenes, we're, we're thinking of alternative options. I don't know. It's really confusing, isn't it? That leave on. If we hadn't had the leave on signing, this could have been, you know, uh, yeah, never, you know, this could have been sort of discussed behind the scenes for about a week or something. But the fact that we brought in another player, the only thing I can think of in this in this scenario is that Miles Judd. I think they extended it, but apparently, from what I'm, you know, is it was it a case that Miles Judd wasn't going to be allowed to, to be extended till the end of the season? So leave on was brought in. I know it, it, with. with with that in mind, um, but like, but it did, it definitely, I mean, there, there was, it's really strange because there was, there was some players that brought in were clearly quick fixes or quick, clearly quick, you know, like just need, just need them in there now. And there were some that looked like they were kind of going to take a little bit of a while to get going. So, which it's always had its purposes suggest to me that flowers was looking at this as a rebuilding job. So, I don't know. It's really confusing. Everything about the whole way things have gone is it's been just again lacking any kind of you know obvious strategy. Does that sort of resonate with you, Tom? That the lack of strategy. I mean, do you think that from either your time at the club or your time from watching the club from afar that there is a sort of overall strategy to what we're doing, or do you feel that we are like most football clubs are kind of quite reactionary, or do you feel that actually at Barnett's case there are there are like kind of structural flaws to what we're doing because it does seem that you know, even by clubs that chop and change quite a bit, it's just the sort of diversity of managers we're getting through. I mean, we've gone from Curry, we've gone, you know, to about Rossi early. I mean, you've got, it really is the whole gamut. <laughs> you know, you'd, yeah. you'd be hard pressed to find a, a wider range of managers than the, those that have come through the doors of the hive. 
But is, 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 is there ever been a strategic view to any of this stuff? I think that I think this is a problem that you know prevalent at a lot of clubs, right? And and a lot of smaller clubs or equivalent size clubs. I think the clubs of of Barnet standing of you know historically and and currently that kind of that break that mould probably stick out like a sore thumb because they are so few and far between and everything is so reactionary, so short term at this level but you know even by even taking all that into account I think Barnett sort of you know really do take the biscuit a little bit in that respect I have to say I do wonder about the you know the the structure of the club i.e why is there not more kind of football expertise and more football staff you know the 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 big deal that was made out of Gary Anderson who by the way seemed to be you know a very decent get for the club given his experience and pedigree coming back and, and doing what he's doing, you know, the, the, that was made out to be a massive deal. And you just think, you know, why have, why have we not had someone in that role before? Even in the time that I was there, I remember when um, uh, Henry and Rossi took over, they brought with them straight away um, a fitness coach from the, the under-18s. You just thought, how in whatever that was, 2017, could you not have a fitness coach working with the first team day in and day out you know I saw someone the other day complaining that there were no um, scouts and I don't I don't know Mim and, and yourself you might know a bit better but I don't think that's necessarily that out of kilter with other clubs at this level right to, to have dedicated scouts I think there's a lot of kind of old boys network right black books and who knows who at this level but just you know just stupid things like that just it all again it all adds up doesn't it go on Mim I know you want to say something no, I was just saying, no, it's true. Um, most of the, um, if anything, actually, some of the coaches we've had have piggybacked off bigger club scouts. So where, so for, for, for instance, I know that, um, that uh, what's his name? The the little guy from, who came from Dublin. Um, Fred Saul. Fred Saul. So oh, he came about because um, Man City were looking at him. Man and, City? Yeah, Man City. What? Yeah, Man, Man City scout was looking at him. And then <laughs> decided that he wasn't up to that standard. Um, Surprise me. And then recommended him to Barnet. So we, we sometimes piggyback off some of the bigger scouts through personal relationships. And, and as you know, when you're doing coaching, when you're doing coaching badges, you meet all sorts of people on your coaching badges. So you'll meet professional ex pros, you'll meet managers, you know, who are currently in the game just trying to get their badges quickly. Um, you meet everybody so you do build up a network and people don't realize how far some of these networks spread so that is you know a lot of that is you know ringing up your mate who you were on a course with and saying you know what you got from it what have you got that, that is the the revelation of the night that you know that that, that tops to tim flowers designing is the fact that man city were once interested in signing Fuad well, he was he came across their radar because they were in ireland looking at players and the, and the recommendation came to barnet and said this is the guy probably would, you know, suit, you know, suit your standard. Mm. Uh, maybe, well, <laughs> I don't think there's much to say on that. I think I watched his, his only 10 minutes in a Barnet game came under, I think, Mark McGee, and we lost 2-0 at Crawley in the relegation season. But who knows? I mean, as we, as we approach the final moments of, of this then, I guess the question is kind of what comes next. Um, we got stung quite badly when we announced that Brennan was, was our manager uh, and it went to Flowers a few months ago. But from what we're, from what we're hearing, Mem, it seems to be the case that Brennan is likely to come in. There have been a few other, um, a few other names in the, 
in the ring. Uh, I've seen on there people like Aaron McLean potentially, but um, I guess, first of all, where are we at with the Brennan stuff? And then we'll come to you, Tom, for a broader discussion around potential options. Well, I mean, I've heard it now from two people um, that uh, Brennan is likely to be the, the next Barnet manager. Um, probably going to get stung again. TK's waiting for B's pod to come out before he changes his mind. Um, but I believe that, yeah, the thing is with, with TK, he's already interviewed him. He knows about him, knows what he wants, knows, you know, what knows what he expects. Does he really want to be interviewing 20 managers? I doubt it. So I reckon he'll probably give him, I reckon he'll give him a contract at the end of the season and say, what can you do? And then we'll talk about it in the summer. I mean, uh, Mem mentioned there, Tom, that TK doesn't want to interview another 20 managers. I guess the question is, are there 20 managers that will be willing to win to interview for TK? And <laughs> that's the, the, the main question. I guess longer term, I mean, do you, do you feel, A, first of all, that, that Brennan might be a good fit for us? And secondly, I mean, is there a danger that, that this job is actually becoming a little bit of a poison chalice, not just this season, but in the long term as well? Or do you feel that um, people have quite short memories in football and there's enough demand to get into jobs um, that mean that there will always be a high demand for a yeah. Barnett manager's job? Oh yeah, 100%, you know, it's, it's you know, it's a club that spent a good amount of time in the Football League in the last however long, you know, the, it's becoming a meme now, isn't it? But the facilities are great and so on and so forth, you know, there, there, there is an appeal and there will always be someone, won't there? You know, whether or not they're really good enough to be managing a club at this level with this, the aspirations that Barnet ultimately presumably have is another matter, but there'll always be someone. Um, so far as Dean Brennan's concerned, I think it'd be a great appointment. You know, he he really, as much as the football, I think with at Wealdstone, he really united a, a fan base that was, you know, not a war, but there were there were definitely different factions from what I gathered. From you know, I make no secret of the fact that I go to games from time to time. Sorry. Um, and, you know, they, they, it wasn't a happy fan base and a happy club, but he really pulled everyone together and got them going in the right direction. I don't think the football is, you know, we're not looking at a Pep Guardiola reincarnation here, but they try and play decent stuff. They might try and get it forward fairly quickly, but, you know, look at, look at what they did last season. They, you know, they led that league from start to finish and they won it, you know, a fair canter in the end, scored a lot of goals, you know, pushed a lot of teams aside and I just think for all those reasons and the fact that he knows how to get a promotion winning team if the work out of that league if the worst happens for any reason now uh, they're all good things my only concern is that there's a long way to go this season and as Tim Flowers found it isn't easy and you come in and you bang your head against the wall for a few months and think bloody hell the damage to my reputation is this really worth it I'm better better off getting out now while I still can and you know, I wouldn't put it beyond uh, this season and this football club to, for there to be a fourth manager before before the season's out. So I hope I hope it's him. But if I was a friend of his, I'd be saying, "Why don't you just wait until the summer? Because I'm sure it will be available then, and you'd at least know definitely what division you're in, clear the decks, and so on and so forth." Because that's another thing; he's going to want to bring in his own players, presumably, right? You know, whoever, if it is Dean Parrot, if, uh, if it is Dean Parrot, if it is Dean Brennan, or it is someone else, he's going to want to bring in his own players. As you say, you've got 35 players at the moment, so some, something's got to change. Um, and I, I doubt TK is going to be in the business of paying them off. I presume he'll probably put more of them on furlough, right? So, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's messy, it's ugly, it's concerning. But Dean Brennan would be a beacon of light, I hope. You're, you're certainly more, more, more positive on that than, uh, 
than, than most or, or, or you know more positive about that change I think um it's good to hear that and I know Mem's got some slightly positive views there as well I think probably caution against some of it I know that Willstone had a, a pretty big budget last season mm-hmm. in the National League South and and I think that was actually underplayed in some quarters and um there are a fair few people who have mixed views on on Brennan in non-league football as there are about anyone um but you know you've got to hope that <laughs> anything is better than what's happened to us in the last few months Mem we'll, we'll leave the, the, the final thoughts with you then going forwards I mean it's uh it's just so uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen with the league, with the players, um, with the manager situation. I guess uh, before our next pod, hopefully uh, in a month or so's time, do you have any sort of hopes or, or aspirations for, for what the club can do going forwards to to hopefully move on from what seems to be an ever-darkening chapter or has been at least since the start of this season? Okay, I'd like to see some small improvements. I'd like to see a team, uh, whoever comes in, I'd like to see a team with a bit more en- with more energy in it playing higher up the pitch and been able to been able to complete at least four passes. Okay. So I'm starting small. Okay. Starting small, but as long as they get to four passes and also not include Liam Daly in any of the passing moves. Okay. So, cause uh, unfortunately he's got, a, he's got a Peter K habit uh, whenever the ball comes anywhere near him. So, um, you know, trying to four passes. That's all I want. That's good to hear. Well, um, the uh, the sun is set on another crazy chapter at the Hive. Um, gents, thanks so much for taking the time and team to go through it. I'm sure uh, we'll be back very, very soon to uh, to go through any more exciting things with the bees. Uh, and finally, um, Tom, uh, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, I do really recommend to anyone who hasn't already to check out some of Tom's great work, both on the bees, but also on on the conference call as well. Some really interesting stuff on there. And I'm sure, um, you know, you could, you could pretty much do an entire show about Barnett on that show every week, uh, Tom, but thank you so much for joining us and uh, yeah, stay safe, everyone. We look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, who knows who'll be the manager, who knows who the players will be, who knows what league will be in, uh, but that is all part of the fun of following Barnett. Thanks guys.